In Daniel chapter 3, verse 15, it says, Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Today we learn about the power of music. This is day five. Welcome to the Journey Through Daniel podcast, where every day we set aside space in our lives to experience God's Word. Together we'll discuss the content and meaning of each passage and how the book of Daniel can help us understand more about who God is and the story He's writing for each of us every day. Welcome back to the Journey Through Daniel podcast. I'm here again with Brendan Lang and Stephen Kelly. Hey, good to be here. Thanks for joining us once again. Hey, I have a question for you. What's your favorite pair of shoes that you have? That I have? Yeah, not like just in general, favorite pair of shoes. What's your favorite pair of shoes? My sandals. Your sandals? Yeah. You're not like a shoe guy? No, I mean, but it's a lot easier because you just slip them on. So if I had said, hey, what's your favorite pair of sandals? I only have one pair of sandals. Great. So what's your favorite pair of shoes, Brendan? So you're distinguishing the two. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like sneakers, shoes, I don't know. How about you think about it? Steven, what's your favorite pair of shoes you have? Probably my Alan Edmonds cap toe walnut dress shoe. Oh, nice. (laughs) Classy over here. Yeah, I don't think I can respond. (laughs) I've paid enough for it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, those sound comfy. If you're going to have dress shoes, those sound really comfy. Seriously. That's something I would expect a professor to answer with right there. (laughs) (laughs) Professor Kelly walking in the Helen Edmonds. Brendan, do you have a favorite shoe? No, I don't have a favorite shoe. So socks with sandals is your jam. Well, without sandals. Sorry. Wait, without socks. (laughs) Just socks. I mean, whatever condition my foot is in socked or sockless the sandals i like because i can just slip my feet in yeah have you guys heard of preachers and sneakers yes unfortunately <laughs> that's that's unfortunately. that's what i was hoping that Are you, you, know, guys you know about this steven I, I think i've heard about it it's basically just like a instagram account that started trolling all the pastors that wear super expensive nice shoes like we're not talking about like loafers or like dress shoes just like sneakers mm-hmm all it does is point out how much they cost, what they are, and that's it. And I think it's started to make some of them self-conscious just because <laughs> sure. seems like they have a pretty good shoe budget if they're spending 800 bucks on a pair of shoes mm-hmm. or 800 plus. So Yeah, some of those shoes are more than that. Oh, for sure. That's like, you know, I was just averaging out probably some of the posts that they have. Check it out. Preachers and Sneakers is super fun to watch. I've, I'll tell you, I've never been accused of spending too much on my shoes. My wife has always said, we need to work on your shoe game. So <laughs> That's good. That's I don't have a favorite. Well, today we're talking about idols. Shoes can be an idol. Doesn't sound like it is for this group. Definitely not for me. (laughs) But everybody has got something, right? So to get into it, why don't we jump into the commentary with Brendan today? Day five, a test of allegiance. Daniel 3 tells the story of another colossal statue. In Daniel 2, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed about a statue. Now, perhaps out of inspiration of the dream, he builds one. Evidently, he forgot that the statue in his dream came crashing down. It's not clear who exactly this statue represented. Some suggest it was an image of a Babylonian god. Others suggest it was an image of Nebuchadnezzar himself. In any case, Nebuchadnezzar decreed that all nations and peoples were to worship the statue or be thrown into a blazing furnace. This command was a test of ultimate allegiance for the foreign captives he had taken, trained, and indoctrinated in Babylon. Would they submit to his regime or would they suffer the consequences? For the people of Judah who had been carried into exile by Nebuchadnezzar, this test was especially problematic. God had previously commanded his people not to bow down to any images like this one. In fact, in Deuteronomy 4, God said he would scatter his people into places like Babylon if they neglected God's command. 
Sure enough, the people of Judah were in Babylon because they had betrayed God, and now they were being tempted to break faith again. However, it's worth noting that in the same chapter, God reminded his people that he had saved them in the past from an iron-smelting furnace out of Egypt, Deuteronomy 4.21. If he had saved them from one furnace in the past, he could save them from this one. All God asked for was their loyalty. And that's what God continues to ask of us today. We may not face the same dilemma as the exiles in Babylon. We may not be tempted to bow down to statues. However, we do live in a society where idols like money, power, sex, and fame tempt us to submit to them daily. We live in a society where politicians and leaders demand our allegiance. In fact, you might be like Nebuchadnezzar. In your own sphere of influence, do you wield power over the people you claim to love and lead? The message of Daniel is that God is the true king, not us or the idols we are tempted to worship. God deserves our ultimate allegiance. For day five, we're reading Daniel chapter three, verses one through 15. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and six cubits wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what god will be able to rescue you from my hand? Stephen, you want to take us through the discussion questions for day five? Question number one. Daniel chapter 3 verses 1 through 15 includes a lot of long, repetitious lists. On four different occasions, it lists six types of instruments, and twice it lists seven types of officials. One effect of the robotic-like repetition is it highlights how people senselessly went along with Nebuchadnezzar's commands. How do you see people senselessly going along with corrupt agendas in our society today? Question number two, what statues in your life challenge you to break faith with God?
Man, Brendan, I'm not going to lie. That scripture was a doozy, and it felt quite <laughs> repetitious. It was repetitious. I, like, it was fun. I, is it fun? Because for me, I'm the one reading it, just for the record. It's fun to hear. When you read it, actually, it reveals just how repetitious Because it is. I'm very good at sounding annoyed. Well, or... yeah, <laughs> that's one. Because you were reading it, and I don't think this is coming through in the podcast, but you leaned over, and you're like, why didn't it just say, they did this, <laughs> instead <laughs> yeah. of like listing all seven people or whatever again? If I was writing it, I'm a pretty concise writer, so it that's could be, probably what would happen. It could be more concise, Yeah. But there's always we've talked about all those in instruments podcasts. I mentioned earlier. Yeah, when those play, come down and worship. And that's kind of the joke I was alluding to in the intro. Is like the power of music. These instruments do seem to have a lot of power. If you had like a zither, whatever that is. Yeah. Stephen, do you know what a zither is? You're a worship guy, right? Yeah. It's some <laughs> kind of actually. I mean, I've done a little bit of research on this text. It's more almost like a plucked guitar type oh, okay. thing. I think a little classical guitar. But I mean, I think to your point, as a musician, as a worship leader. I think my job is to create the mood. Mm. You know, I'm kind of creating space for people to engage with God. And I think Nebuchadnezzar knew what he was doing, you know, like, hey, let's have a party. And so it almost lulls you to what you're actually (laughs) pledging allegiance to because, hey, the music is going. These are festive instruments. Yeah. And so the music is going. There's a party going on and everybody bow. That's a really good point. It kind of lulls you into a space where you necessarily have the music not. It could be jarring bow down and worship but yeah Mm. you're feeling the vibe and so it's like you might as well join in that's good I think the funny thing is if you had like a zither over by yourself because this says if you hear any of those and you've got the one guy oh it's Stephen Kelly he's over with a zither (laughs) about to troll the entire gathering of all the people who I also said that entire group of people multiple times yeah what is that about why do I have to repeat it so many times today there is always a reason why things are written the way they are. The way I understand this is that it highlights the fact that these people just went along with it. We don't see them thinking, we don't see them acting. So when you like have these repetitions, it just sort of shows, reveals that these people are going along exactly with what Nebuchadnezzar says. And of course, what the story sets us up for is what are these three Jews, what are these three men of Judah going to do when they hear that they're supposed to bow down? Because of course, we know from scripture that people who follow God aren't supposed to bow to statues or images of whatever and we don't know exactly what this image is but they're not supposed to bow down to anything but god well that kind of is my question like why is nebuchadnezzar so mad that these three because it says like he was enraged right or he was furious or something like that yeah depending on the translation why was he so mad that they wouldn't worship it's just a statue it's just a statue i know (laughs) that's like shows my ignorance yeah Uh right because i think it's fundamentally about allegiance he's bringing in people now it's not just any people notice what it says in verse four it says nations and peoples of every language this is what you're commanded to do so this isn't just anybody that he's asking to do this this is everybody that he's brought and assembled in the kingdom of Babylon in the area of Babylon. So think people like Daniel, not just people like Daniel, but people from other provinces that he's brought as exiles into Babylon, because this is how he led as a king. He took them out of their lands, brought them to his territory, and he forced them to become good Babylonians. And so this is another test of allegiance. He's trained them, he's indoctrinated them, he's taught them all their language and literature. Now they're being forced to bow down to either a statue of the king himself, could be a representation of him, or it could be a representation of one of his gods. But in any case, this was a way for them to assert, to demonstrate, to proclaim that the God of Nebuchadnezzar was their God, and therefore the empire of Babylon was their empire. Well, and these were people of status too, you know, this isn't just like the citizens. These are people who are prefects and magistrates, and they're people that have position and they have some sort of authority to think and operate within this kingdom. But it Hmm. seems like Nebuchadnezzar is really good at creating a culture of fear for those who don't. That's a good observation. 
This idea of like worshiping something. Stephen, I'm curious from your perspective. I mean, you teach people about this all the time and you do this even just on Sunday mornings as you take people through a worship experience. What is worship? Like if this is our first interaction with the idea of somebody bowing down and worshiping, what does that mean? I think that's a great question. For me, I think specifically when it pertains to worship in a Christian context, you know, it's kind of fixing our eyes on Jesus and kind of creating that space where people can actually engage and be open and receptive in many ways to the power of God. And so I think for Nebuchadnezzar, you know, when I want people to come humbly and with kind of saying, hey, like, here I am, send me, I'll go, like Isaiah said, you know, it's just this kind of complete allegiance, complete submission and saying, like, your will for my life. I trust you. I will do what you ask me to do. And so I think Nebuchadnezzar wanted that from every single person. Yeah, I think so many people think that worship is just like music, too, which makes sense why there are so many musical instruments here. But there's a lot of things that can be tied into this idea of what worship is. And it's not just the time that we play songs on a Sunday morning if you come to church or during COVID if you watch church on a Sunday, I guess. But I think worship is a unique word and a unique way to describe what Nebuchadnezzar is asking them to do even. There are a number of words that could be translated as worship. Sometimes the word serve, it's translated as worship sometimes. Sometimes in the New Testament, we see this, the word more literally means bow down, means to worship. And so there are a lot of ways we can worship God. But what I think we see, at least in this passage, is that worship is, in at least in one sense, an expression of allegiance. It's an expression of loyalty. It's a way of saying that, God, you are my king. And so when we come together and worship, bow down, sing our songs, whatever form we decide to praise God, in on a Sunday morning or in our Sunday living rooms or whenever we choose to worship as a church community, we are professing that God is our King. We are faithful and loyal to Him and Him alone. I would say the other part about this story, and you asked why was King Nebuchadnezzar mad? Some scholars say in chapter two, that dream, he was the head of gold. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, the 90-foot statue, and some say that was of himself. I'm not only the head, I'm the entire statue. Mm. And so he kind of took it a step further. I'm not only the head of gold, I'm the whole statue worthy to be worshipped. And so that's... Just taking it a step further. (laughs) Yeah, taking it a step further, which is crazy. Last I checked, the gold also was crushed by the big stone. (laughs) I'm not keeping track. I'm following along the story. That's the fun part of this passage today, too, is this is one of the most famous stories in the Bible, right? And like, we only get the first part because Brendan likes to break things up and leave us hanging. I've got 20 days and 12 chapters, so we got to break things up somewhere somehow making us sweat no pun intended (laughs) but the interesting thing about this is it ends with these three guys who are not doing what nebuchadnezzar asked yeah and that's what makes him mad i think so often we've talked about this we all view ourselves as those three guys or one of those three guys or we put ourselves and be like you know what if i was faced with the same situation i would do what they did Uh because i'm so faithful and we have jesus and we have god and like no you wouldn't Not all of you. Well, (laughs) I mean, it's hard to know because the truth is, I think a lot of us haven't been faced with situations like that. And so it's a good, inspiring story, and it should challenge us, encourage us to be faithful and loyal to him. And the truth is, like, I think this story then serves as a model for later generations of people of God. We've talked about this. We're going to continue to talk about this. But in 167 to 164 BC, we have this Greek Syrian tyrant king named Antiochus Epiphanes IV. That title, Epiphanes, it means God manifests, someone who thinks of himself 
himself as being like a god, just like if this statue is Nebuchadnezzar, if it's supposed to represent Nebuchadnezzar, he's doing very Nebuchadnezzar-like types of things, declaring that he is God in the flesh, and he desecrates the temple, sets up an image of a different god that he requires the people of Judah to bow down to. If you are not loyal and you do not participate in the program that I've set up, you're going to be murdered. And so it becomes a model for later followers of God. But of course, for many of us, living in comfortable suburban Chicago, this isn't our experience of life. We don't have these kinds of tests day to day. I think the interesting thing is we've said this, we either are these guys or we're the Nebuchadnezzar who have the power to wield over people. And I'm curious, how do we identify that? You said it in your intro commentary, you know, do we wield power over the people you claim to love and lead? How do we identify when that is what's happening? I think we need to step back and look at all the different ways that we relate to people. I think, again, there are situations in which we, I don't know if we're powerless, but we report to superiors, but there are also times that we are the superior. There are different ways that we relate to people in which we have power over them. I mean, even just think for those of us who have kids or those of us who maybe we're teachers, maybe we're even pastors, actually, we have authority over others in our lives. And when we have that kind of authority, how do we use it? And so we have to really think critically about how do I treat my kids at home when I get upset and they aren't doing what I ask? How do I treat people who come to my Sunday morning classes, or I guess it's Thursday night classes right now because we can't meet in person, but how do I treat those that I have some sort of authority over? And if we're doing it in ways like Nebuchadnezzar, maybe we're not murdering them, but if we're abusing authority in any way, then we are a lot more like Nebuchadnezzar than we are like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What about you, Stephen? So fascinating. I think there are three positions in this story. I mean, I think you have the Nebuchadnezzars, and then you have the three Hebrew boys who refuse to bow. But then <laughs> there's the third people, those yes. the astrologers. Yep. Those are the ones that were mm. kind of complicit with the culture. I mean, I call them snitches, you know? Yeah. Those were the snitches. <laughs> the king would not have known. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> they went and told the king, yeah. these Jews. And so, you know, I think often for us, we're complicit in an abusive culture. And mm. not only they ratted them out and said, hey, these people are not going along with the program. And, you know, we know when we have power, yes, the temptation is to abuse and to create our own culture and say, this is what you must be and allow no variance. But I think just as dangerous is as people who are complicit in saying, hey, this is the way you're supposed to do it. And if you're not, I'm going to be the one that the astrologers shouldn't have been the ones holding them accountable, but they felt to take it upon themselves to actually expose the Jews, which is mm. fascinating it's to me. super interesting, the, the tattletales. That was actually one of my questions that I almost used instead of the shoe really? one, is like, have you ever been tattletailed on? <laughs> when you're like, you know, yeah, the, who's the snitch in your life that like sticks out? You still remember Johnny from third grade. <laughs> but my thing is like, I think there might actually be four groups in here now that we think about it, because you've got Nebuchadnezzar, you've got the snitches, you've got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and then you've got got the people who just went along with it. Yeah. You've got the masses of people who, yeah. honestly... It's a different type of complicity. Yeah. They had no right. power. They have no ability to step out because if they did, they would have power. And so they're living in fear knowing yeah. that they have to conform to the reality of what they're in or they're out. Yeah. They literally will die. And I'm sure, I mean, the Hebrew boys could have said, hey... Everybody else is doing it. This doesn't matter to God. God understands my heart. I'm just going to go along with this just hmm. because like, hey, I want to live, <laughs> you know, but yeah. they had such conviction yeah. to say, you know what? No, that's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. I think that's the interesting thing is when you're faced with a decision between comfort, 
safety, security, and the will of God. And honestly, those are usually in opposite directions, right? Usually you have a path that leads to comfort, safety, and security. And you have one that is the path of God that is likely uncomfortable. Just applying it to our lives, it could mean that you lose your job and you no longer have the security of a paycheck in healthcare. It could mean that you're ostracized by your community. There are so many ways that you could be kept in this place of powerlessness because of fear. And for me, that's how you identify when a leader is lording this power power over the people they claim to love and lead. I agree with that. But I mean, the point I also want to bring up is that for these Hebrew boys, their courage didn't start in that instance. You know, Mm. they refused to eat of the king's diet as well. This kind of courage has to be cultivated. And so it just doesn't happen on the big stage. And I think that's a life. That's a direction in your life saying, I will live my life with integrity. I won't compromise. And it starts in the smaller things. It doesn't just start in the hard times in life or on the big stage. For sure. What were the stakes at play when they were threatening to eat fruits and vegetables for, what, like 10 days, you know? Well, they would have gotten less healthy. Their official might have died, but it's not clear that they would have. We don't don't know. (laughs) He's like, I don't want to die. Yeah. I mean, there were stakes, but, you know, this is a furnace that's seven times hotter, right? Right. This is tough. This thing is so hot that the people who... Oh, I don't want to spoil it. Yeah. 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 We'll save that for next time. You know, Brendan, you ended this commentary with this idea that God deserves our allegiance over all of it. And that is what's modeled by the Hebrew boys, which I love mm-hmm. that that's how we're referring to them now, because that's much easier to say than <laughs> <laughs> those, those Babylonian names. So these Hebrew boys, like they know that God deserves their allegiance. For us today, what does that look like? What does that mean? Especially for people who have like, it's the first time reading the Bible. What does it mean to give God our allegiance? Well, what is allegiance? It's the thing I say before school when I'm a kid. (laughs) But I think that's helpful to think of it in that way, because I think we associate allegiance with a country. And right now, in a very divisive time, we think of it as allegiance to a party or a a, a political candidate. Or I'm a big sports fan. I know, Tyler, I don't know if you're a fan, Stephen. Listen, I watch sports. They're fine. I just think that they're funny. They are funny. Not in like a ha-ha way. But people give allegiance to these teams. And it affects a person when their teams win or lose, like can physically affect a person. So there are lots of things we can give our allegiance to in life, work, family. It's essentially, what are we loyal to? What are we faithful to? What are the things that... We say, I'm going to be on your side through the thick and thin. That's essentially what I believe God is asking of the people here. I think it's what really God is asking of people in scripture. I think when we talk about faith, a lot of times we talk about faith, it's this mental idea, right? Like, I believe that God exists and I'm going to trust in him. And there's certainly a mental aspect to faith, but I think that we've missed this loyalty aspect. That's another way we could actually define faith. In fact, there's some really great influential books right now that suggest doing this, that faith should maybe sometimes be translated as allegiance. And what God is asking us to do is to say that I am going to give my loyalty to you. I'm going to give my allegiance to you. I'm always going to be on your side. I'm going to commit myself to you, say that you're my king. And because you're my king, I'm going to live in the ways that you would ask of me. What's so much different from King Nebuchadnezzar and the way of Jesus? I think of the words found in Matthew 6, my life first. Jesus is saying, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness mm-hmm. and everything else will be added to you. Yeah. And so to your point, it's like, I will provide your every need. And I think that's the kind of confidence that the Hebrew boys had. It was like, hey, if I seek God first, my needs, God sees me, God knows me. And he deserves that allegiance because there is some reciprocity. And it's not that we earn it, but God's love is saying, hey, I've got your back. Yep. Yeah. You know, so that's someone worthy 
to put faith and trust in. And that's what we see of God throughout scripture is God yeah. actually gives his allegiance to people. Yeah, that's what exactly. that's what covenants yeah. are. Covenants right. are agreements to be in relationship with one another. And God, what we see from Genesis to Revelation is that God continues to be faithful to the promises, the covenant promises he gave to Abraham and his descendants and future generations. God chose to be with them no matter what mm-hmm. they did. And that's all he's asking of us. He's demonstrated that he's someone who's going to be loyal. He's going to watch out for his people, defend his people, stand up and ultimately provide victory one way or another in the end for his people. And so all we have to do is continue to give allegiance to him. I think that our God that we proclaim as the person we are loyal to, it's hard not to want to follow too when you actually start to dig into the rest of scripture and realize what kind of God it is. You see the value in what God cares about, but also how God will end up caring Mm -hmm. about humanity. And that's seen through Jesus, right? Jesus comes and he builds relationships. He cares for people's emotional, physical mm-hmm. needs, their spiritual needs. He serves them. Any leader who is worth following is going to be the first one to get down and put a towel over his arm and wash yeah. other people's feet, right? So it's not just the things that they profess and say. It's how they do that. It's how they go about caring for the people who they have power over. Because mm-hmm. let's be real, our God does not need us. If he's truly the creator of everything, yeah. why would he need a bunch of humans? Because he cares about humans. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't need them. He's made humans because he wants to have relationships, because he wants to share of himself as goodness. He wants to give to others. He wants to love others. And so I think that's what he expects of us. I think that's what allegiance in a lot of ways looks like. It's more than just saying, I believe in you. It's more than just saying, I call you my king. You talk about Matthew 6 and the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, there are those who are going to call me Lord, Lord. And I'm going to say, I don't know you because right. there are a lot of people who confess that Jesus is Lord, but they don't live that way. And so allegiance includes a confession, but it entails and involves a whole life of acts of love and kindness and compassion that reflect the character of God that show that this is the type of king I follow. And because that's the type of king he is and the type of kingdom he's establishing as a partner, as a member, as a citizen of that kingdom, this is how I have to live my life too. I completely agree. And I think for all of us, the challenge of this text in our own ways, many of us, we act like Nebuchadnezzar. There are consequences when you don't follow what we've prescribed and you say, this is how it's going to be done. You know, that's all Nebuchadnezzar was. He was wielding his power, you know, and Jesus gives us a completely different model of what it looks like to hold power and to serve unto death. And so you see that huge gap in kind of how Nebuchadnezzar wields power. And I think we all have those responsibilities that more often than we'd like to admit, we wield our power and we dole out consequences for people who do not think like us, act like us, look like us, serve like us. We either actively do it or complicit in not standing up to it, right? Hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, buckle up. This is week one, and we're just now getting into some of the good stories. And it's crazy, really, how the book of Daniel is able to set up some of these bigger topics that really the whole Bible is testament to. And this is just week one. We're wrapping up day five. Next week, it's election week. Who knew that Daniel would have so much to say about the way that we view politics in America today? Yeah. It definitely does. So we'll see you back next week, starting on Monday. Peace. Before we wrap up, 
we wanted to bring your attention to something else that is a little different for the journey through Daniel. Every journey study we've done, we have put a feature section at the end of every week, sort of to give you a break and reprieve, but also just to separate each week visually. This time, we decided that the best way to use this space was to tell stories of people in our community, people who attend Willow Creek Community Church, and how they have confronted and experienced systemic power abuse or confronted systems of power generally. We think this is really important to hear and share with people's stories. For the people who did share, this is an incredibly vulnerable experience. And in addition to having them imprint in the book, we recorded these interviews and we wanted to give you a sixth day of podcasts. By no means do you have to listen to this. Feel free to skip it, delete it. But I would challenge you, the understanding of your fellow human, your fellow churchgoer is only going to make us better as people as we understand and start to empathize with those around us. So tomorrow you'll see there's a sixth day of podcasts and it starts with a story by Kevin Taylor. Thanks for joining us today for the Journey Through Daniel podcast. If this is your first time, so glad that you checked us out. To check out even more resources, children and family resources, and ebooks for all ages, visit our journey page at willowjourney.org. And follow us for updates at Willow Creek NS on Instagram. If you have questions or would like to learn more about the ministries of Willow Creek Community Church, check us out at willowcreek.org. We'll see you next time.